and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. We hope today, as you listen to this week's content, that you grow in your faith and in your relationship with God. Connect more with us by going to ardmoresummit.church and remember to love God, love people, and love life. And so I want to encourage you to go ahead, let's get into our Bibles, Mark chapter 16. Before we get to the scripture, there's something we want to address real quick. We should have done it last week, but we got in a couple weeks ago, we just got so excited with Christmas Eve and it slipped our minds and we want to talk about it real brief. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. Um, as you've opened your Bibles or even in your Bible app, you might have come across something that says some of the earlier manuscripts do not include verses 9 through 20. And many people, sometimes this might cause like a red flag for some people to think, well, what's, what does this mean? Real quickly, let me just explain what this is, which is called a textual variant. And you don't need to be afraid that this is mentioned in your Bible. Because some people go, oh, should this be included? Should it not be included? Is it what Mark really said? Is it not what he said? Did somebody just make this up? What's going on? And let me just explain. There's nothing to be uh, worried about. There's many textual variants. There's some other textual variants in the Bible. We've never been embarrassed by them. We've never hidden the fact that there are textual variants. In fact, what's really cool about having textual variants, at least in my opinion, is this. We're saying we're not closing anybody off from including what they have to say about the gospel. Okay. And one thing we don't know, we don't know if Mark wrote verses nine through 20, or if this was really just an early commentary of this writing. So we don't really know entirely, but let me clear something out real quick. Whether you include verses 9 through 20 for the official ending of Mark, or you don't, if they're there or if they're not, it does not affect any of the doctrine that, is, that we believe as believers and Christians. So if it's there or not, um, I, 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 bear, I don't want to say it doesn't make a difference, but when it comes to the core doctrine of what we believe as Christians, this does not affect uh, what we believe. And so I just want to explain that as we go. And so uh, now that you know about this, let's go to Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 14, and let's, let's wrap this thing up. It's the Great Commission. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Verse 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, God, this has been such an incredible year, and I can't believe that 
Uh, we're coming to the end of this. Thank you for your word. Um, thank you for everything that you've done this year through your word, God. We look forward to what you're going to continue to do uh, even next year, God, as we continue to go verse by verse of your word, Lord. It's so fresh and so riching. God, I pray today that, Lord, you'd help me communicate your word. I pray that, Lord, we would receive it and we would apply it to our lives today. God, may today we be ready to answer the call that you've given every single one of us who follows you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to talk a couple things, but before we really get into the meat of the Great Commission, and I love, I, I was so pumped to be able to preach this one. There's some things that I felt when I was talking with pastors that I think there's some stuff that I want to address first before we get to this, because I don't ever want to just skip over some verses and just go into what I want to talk about. The verses are there. I think we need to talk about them. And so if you go to that next slide, uh, just two things real quick. I want to talk about what Mark is not saying. I want to talk about something, what Mark is not saying before we jump into this. And, and really, this almost doesn't have anything to, uh, much to do with the Great Commission and its core of my message today. But I also just know that there's a lot of beliefs out there based upon these scriptures. And I really want to address them this morning. So number one, if you have an outline, write this down. Mark is not saying baptism is a requirement for salvation. Mark is not saying in order for you to be saved, you have to believe and be baptized. And if you're not baptized, then you're not saved at all. This is not what Mark is saying. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Because it says literally right there, those who uh, believe, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So it says it right there. Well, let's kind of just look at text when you've heard me say quite often when I approach text I always want to make sure it matches with the rest of text let's look at the let's consult the biblical map let's look at what the word has to say the first thing that comes to my mind is this the thief on the cross was not baptized the thief on the cross was not baptized but he was assured that day that he would be in paradise with Christ why what was it what was the criteria enough to allow him to be in paradise with Christ what was it what was it he believed, he believed that this is who he says he is. Baptism is not, the, is not a requirement. The Gentiles in Caesarea, they were baptized after they were saved. Believe it or not, in the text, not one text will you find where Jesus is baptizing anybody. He was baptized, but he, we don't see him baptizing anyone. And I find that strange if baptism is necessary for salvation if Christ himself never baptized anybody. Paul, in his writing, he thanked God that he baptized very few of the Corinthians. That seems like an impossible thanksgiving if that baptism was necessary. Like, oh, I'm only, glad, I'm only thankful I did just a few of you. Well, that would mean, oh my gosh, the rest of them aren't really saved. So do you see where we're going here, where baptism is not a requirement for being saved? Approximately 150 passages in the New Testament state that salvation is by faith alone. Faith alone. So do we throw baptism completely out the window and say we don't care about it? No. I mean, baptism is the outward expression of the inward reality of what God's doing in your heart. You take a private moment with the Lord and you say, I'm making this public. I was who I was, but I'm new in Christ. Amen? That is what baptism is. And so if anybody ever tells you you're not saved because you haven't been baptized, you can say, nuh-uh, <laughs> I am saved. 
there's some other stuff. You know, I, I could have. Never mind. I could have. I've, I've had too much fun this week. So I got to watch what I say. I'll be, I'll be real. I'll be real honest with y'all. Number two, Mark is not saying all believers must perform signs and miracles. <sighs> this one's fun. It's been, it's been this known joke for generations or decades, whatever you want to say. When it comes to being Pentecostal, you hear the ongoing joke, those snake-handling Pentecostals, those wild jumping up and down. And, and man, we've even had some great conversations this week traveling uh, back and forth to San Antonio talking about you know the gifts of the Spirit. And we're not going to get into all of that, but let me just say real quickly, we do not need to go about ignorantly grabbing snakes. That's not, that's not what we're required to do. We don't need to, let me, let me make it a little bit, even a little bit more practical. You do not need to be going to the aisles of Walmart and seeking out people that you need to pray demons out of. This is not our responsibility. This is not what we are to be doing. First of all, the practice of handling snakes for the purpose of proving one's faith or proving God's protection, it's a direct violation of God's command to not put him to the test. For it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And the reason why I felt it was important for us to uh, get the record straight is because, I'll be honest, it it, it angers me that when when people want to talk about Pentecostalism, everyone runs away from it because of a select few that have slapped the, the gift in its face. Trying to force God's hand by requiring that he performs a miracle uh, is, is more than foolish, it's sinful. To test God's presence, to test his power by purposely pay, placing yourself in danger is forbidden. Daniel did not seek out lions, but yet when he found himself there, God provided. And this whole belief of, well, we're going to be able to pick up serpents and nothing's going to happen to us. And if we drink poison, we're untouchable. Okay. The only basis that this comes from is where Paul reaches his hand into a bush or something and a snake bites him and he lives. Now, do we look at this and go, ah, it's nothing. No, that's a miracle, friend. He should have died. He's covered in God's protection. So we're not denying miracles. I'm not denying. I will never put a limit on God. God can do some of the most miraculous things possible. Known to me. We have proof of it. So what is Mark saying then? That the works of Christ will continue on. That whatever Jesus has done, it will continue to happen until he comes again. Martin Luther suggested that the signs here spoken of are to be used according to need when the need arises. So if we want to take this into our, if we want to take that teaching and bring it in, I know we need to move on, but let me say this. Uh, Believe in miracles and believe that they can happen. When a need occurs, believe that the need can be met. When you reach out to your brothers and sisters and say, I need you to pray for me, we have a financial situation, we believe that that's a need and we believe that God can meet the need. When you reach out and say, hey, we've got terrible news from the doctor, we believe that's a need and we believe that God can meet the need. 
When you need prayer, it's a need and it's a miracle. But the miracles don't have to be these big elaborate things. Friend, it's a miracle alone that you're sitting in this chair, that this Bible's open, it's a living, breathing word of God, and I'm preaching it to you. That is a miracle today. Miracles can happen in all forms and fashion. They happen through medicine. They happen in the, in the wonder and the ways that we couldn't explain. They happen in so many ways. You're a miracle. So don't get all wrapped up in miracles. Believe in them, but you do not have to perform signs and miracles to be impactful for the kingdom of God. You need to understand that. So now that we know what Mark is not saying, why don't we go over to the next slide and let's talk about the Great Commission. There's three areas in the Great Commission that I'd love to walk us through today. And it's number one, this, the Great Commission has a mindset. It has the mindset and it's to believe. And here's why I believe this. When we, if you go back a couple weeks ago, when we're looking at the resurrection of Christ, what was one of the points that pastor brought out? It said, this was too good to be true. This is too good to be true. The, the, the disciples and those around, the witnesses, they didn't want to believe. Mary shared the good news, but they, wouldn't, they couldn't really wrap their minds around it. Jesus even appears to two of the disciples, and when they go back to report, they're met with the same disbelief that Mary had, was met with. They don't believe it. And why I believe that the mindset of the Great Commission must start with believing, Christ said after, it says here, afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and what does he do? He rebuked them for their unbelief because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Verse 14 shows us that Jesus cares that we believe. The Great Commission, the greatest evangelistic movement in the entire world cannot happen if you and I do not believe. It does not happen if it's not filled with certainty, if it's not filled with hope. And let me just tell you, the hope that we have should not be a, I hope so, hope. The hope that we should be filled with is, I know so hope. I believe this. This is what I'm talking about. This is the believing that the mindset that the Great Commission must begin with. It must begin with believing. Hop on over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Paul straight up says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of what? Your faith, the salvation of your souls. The Great Commission must Begin with the mindset. Believe. Believe this word. Number two, the Great Commission has a mission. It's to broadcast. It's to broadcast. The ending of Mark shows Christ in heaven with a few committed disciples. They're burdened with world evangelism. And they give themselves entirely to it. You and I have a responsibility. When, when we signed up to follow Christ, yes, it's a free gift of salvation, but can I tell you, there's some responsibility that comes with it. 
You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to share the good news with those who we're in contact with, with those that need the gospel. You know who that is? It's your family. It's your children. It's your coworkers. It's people that you are in close proximity with. God's put you in places for a purpose, and that purpose is to bring people into relationship with Christ. We have a responsibility to broadcast this. Our task is to reach every person with the gospel. We are entrusted with the great commission of our own generation. You would not be sitting in this seat if they didn't do their job. You would not be here today if 11 people didn't say yes to the call. If 11 people said yes to a call and it changed an entire globe, what can you do? We have a responsibility. God's created us for an essential purpose, to have a personal relationship with him. Without that relationship, there's always something missing. There's always something missing. And you all can testify to it. You know what life was like in the B.C. era of your life. And many people fail to even recognize the need that they have for Christ. They don't even realize it, that they need him. They just know that something's absent, and you're the only person who can share with them what that absence is. Apart from Jesus, people are spiritually dead, without hope, headed to an eternal separation from God. God doesn't want anyone to be lost. That's not his plan. He wants to restore people's relationship with him. He wants to save the entire world. Jesus' mission on earth was to seek and save the lost, and the same is still today. Our mission is to know Christ and to make him known. That is our job. And you, and you say, well, how do I do that? I mean, the, 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 the scripture says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel and preach the gospel. Do, oh, man, I just didn't think I was going to have to give up my career and become a pastor now. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Smile at somebody. What do you mean, smile at somebody? Smile at somebody continuously. Bring joy into your life. When people ask you, why are you so happy? I got a God who loves me. I know who I once was. I know who I am now because of him. Find ways. Seek ways. God, give me opportunities to share the gospel. Give me ways to do so. How, how do I do this? Do I have to like sit around and just wait for Peyton to show up the next time and say, are you ready today? No, that's not my, not, not, that might not be how it is, but being a consistent friend to those you know that need you in their life. Letting your life be the only Bible that they see and see you growing and seeing you make decisions in a way that the Holy Spirit's leading you and people go, man, I see how well you're doing in life or what seems that you're doing well in life. What, how are you doing this? What book did you read? Was it a Maxwell book? Hey, actually it was the Bible. It's the Holy Spirit leading me and guiding me. So we have to have the mindset to believe. We need to understand that there is a mission to broadcast this. Number three, well, what's the method? Believers. Believers. People say that the mission's always the same, but methods need to change. I know in church circles and church leadership circles, but I'm sure as well in any formal leadership that you might be in, whether you're a supervisor, manager, shift leader, whatever, you lead a team in any way. Uh, it even happens when we lead kids too, that the mission's continuously the same, but oftentimes we have to change the method of how we accomplish the mission. 
Have you ever heard that, heard that before? Like, we can't continuously be doing the same thing over and over and over and over. There needs to be some things that need to change. And especially in church leadership circles, we hear this all the time. That's why you have people who say, well, we're going to go out and we're going to plant a church and it's going to be a real modern church so we can reach a certain, uh, certain generation. And you have some who say, well, we're going to start a Spanish service so we can really meet, meet the Spanish community. And I think it's great. I actually do think it's good to come up with new ways and find ways to be able to uh, to accomplish the mission. But can I really simplify it? That the mission's always the same, and so is the method. You. You're the method. You are God's method. Who cares if we give you any resources if you never take the first step? We could sit up here 52 weeks a year and preach our hearts out and equip you and train you in small groups and do everything, but if you never get up and take the step, nothing ever happens. A whole world needs to be changed. The whole world needs to hear the gospel. And I'll be honest, we're humble enough to say three of us can't do it alone. When we take on the ownership and responsibility to lead, this is what we're saying. God, equip us so we can equip the saints to do ministry. That is what we're mandated to do. You and I have a responsibility to go and to be God's method in changing the world. There was an old preacher from the Civil War era. His name was E.M. Bounds who said it this way, and I quote, We're constantly on a stretch, if not on a strain, to devise new methods new plans, new organizations to advance the church and to secure enlargement and efficiency for the gospel. This trend of the day has a tendency to lose sight of the man or sink the man in the plan or organization. God's plan is to make much of the man, far more of him than of anything else. Men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. And can I also add, he's looking for better women too. He's looking for men and women who will stand up and say yes. I really want you to focus here. We're closing here, and I really want you to listen to this. 125,000 people die a day who do not know Jesus as their Savior. Jesus has no way to save the world, I'll say this, but by you and I. He did his part. He said, it's finished. We have a responsibility. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You guys. I want to break this down even further. I think this is incredible. 215,000 people are in the world today than were not in the world yesterday. 1.5 million more by next Sunday. 140 million people every year come into the world who do not know the gospel. 6,316 people die each hour. That's 105 people a minute. Let's pause for a second. It's going to be awkward silence for just a moment. Just sit with me. Just think. You're about 20 seconds in. Almost there. You want to count it down with me? Have a little early new year here. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1.
That's 105 people. How many do we suppose knew the Lord? If we linked all the people together who do not know Christ and asked them to hold hands, they would completely circle the globe. If all the births could be stopped right now and all the deaths could be stopped right now and we could just freeze time, not another second clicks on the talk, on the clock. Did I say that right? Tick tock. If we stopped time, we stopped all the deaths, we stopped all the births, at the rate that we're winning the world right now, it would take us 100 years to win the loss just now. Why? Because we're not sharing like we're supposed to. We're not reaching out like we're supposed to. We're not burdened enough to know that there are people in your families who do not know the Lord. There are people in your workspaces who do not know the Lord, and we get so used to clocking in, clocking out, get a check, go home. What's mine is mine, and that's it. It's more to that. There's more to life than that. 105 people a minute. The will of God is the evangelism of the entire world. What are you and I doing about it? I ask you to stand. Musicians can come. I leave you with one verse. It's not on the screen. Mark 16, 15. We've already read it. Go into all the world. Proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. What will you do? God's calling you now. What will you do? We have a responsibility. Will we say yes? Or will we not? God, we thank you today. God, for what a wonderful way to end out this year. God, closing out your word. God, I pray today that we leave this place equipped. I pray that, Lord, we leave inspired and encouraged, but God, we leave burdened for people. God, I'm praying right now you've already placed people in the minds of your people, of those that need to hear the gospel. Lord, we all know somebody. May we be challenged, Lord, to find ways to share hope, to share truth, to do so in a gentle way where we are encouraged and instructed by your word to always be prepared to share the hope that we have and to do so gently. The purpose, God, is to bring people close to you, God. And how we love people will draw people in to you, Lord. So God, may we be burdened with love, but not with pride. May we be burdened with with the expectation that we want to see people have the same freedoms and joy that we have. God, if we don't feel that, if we don't feel joyful for our salvation, I pray that, God, we start off 2024 excited, God. I pray that, Lord, you would just, in in these next few moments, as we get in our cars and we go to lunch and we have plans, I pray you wreck our souls. I pray that, God, we feel your comfort in such a way that, God, it feels like that very first time we ever said yes to you. I pray that, God, we have a fresh, fresh anointing and a fresh love and peace, God. If that's what it takes for us to share it with others, we pray right now for a fresh outpouring, Jesus. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen and amen. Amen. I love you all, and you know I'm going to say something corny. We'll see you next year. (laughs) God bless you guys.